All right. Let me pull this up again one more time. Uh, it's on Facebook in a cleaner form. Uh, we're looking at the structure of discipleship. We began with the idea of grace uh, as the foundation, subflooring the faith, hope, and love as part of that as well. Then lordship being really the ground floor of of our walk. Uh, we follow the spiritual disciplines to learn God's word with the commandments of holiness, the commandments of righteousness, and the commandments of unity. We talked about the spiritual disciplines of the scriptures and prayer and fasting to build up that worldview and mindset that we talked about last time. And we're about to conclude with the stewardships and then the results, which is the fruit of the Spirit. So we're really beginning today with, um, with the stewardships. As a believer develops in spiritual formation or we are a convert is transformed or a revert, if you will, is reformed, um, the establishment of a biblical worldview and mindset becomes critical. And it results from the application of the spiritual disciplines. Once those things are in place, we move into the stewardships. Uh, the stewardships are aspects of life which must be managed uh, by guidance from the biblical text and wisdom given by the Holy Spirit um, in the context of our experience of faith and obedience. In other words, this is really what a mature disciple begins to do. They manage four areas of their life as they integrate all of God's Word into their life cycle. And the first one is time. It's the management of daily, weekly, yearly, and life cycle events. We're going to talk about that one today. Then resources, that's the management of money and possessions. Then relationships, the management of relational roles, rules, and priorities. And then giftedness, the development and exercise of our natural and our spiritual gifts in ministry. Now, when I was looking at this, since I want to get on to the series on Havarot, I, uh, I thought, well, could I do all four of these in one, one sermon? Well, I could, but it's just a real brush of what they are. Could I do them in two, uh, where I take two of them and then two of them? That would also be pushing it. Uh, so then, how do I do it in four without doing it in five, introducing them and then going into it? And I thought, well, I'll do the introductions kind of as I do each one of them. But I want you to see them as a group. Uh, sometimes I treat these as advanced spiritual uh, disciplines because they're part of that. But these are not things that you can do if you don't have the other spiritual disciplines operating in your life. So we're going to start with the issue of time uh, today. And uh, I could go on and do a series just on that, but I just want to hit the high points so that you begin to see what that management is. Time is not minutes and seconds and days and years in that sense. Time is events in order. Uh, if we think of time only in terms of the clock is going or the watch is moving or the, the sand is going through the uh, hourglass, we miss the point of time. Time is e the events of our life that have to be managed. It's a sense of movement towards God's promised culmination 
of the creation. It's taking steps and ordering those steps which begins to manage our time. So I'm always nervous when I talk to students about time management because they think in terms of setting aside a half an hour for this and a half an hour for that. Well, if you've ever done that, you know that some things don't take a full half an hour and other things take much more than that. So one of the things I've done, and this is an issue related to my uh, appointments. I used to have appointments with the office hours, and a student would make an appointment for a half an hour. And they'd come in and they'd ask me one question. I'd answer it in about a minute, and then that rest of that time was unavailable to the other students. So what I started doing is what I call my Wanda's office hours. I hang out in Wanda's for an hour and a half twice a week. And I tell the students there, and they come in, and they ask an individual question, or they take five minutes, or they take ten minutes, and they're done, and I'm saving an enormous amount of time. Then if somebody's got a real personal issue, and it's going to take time, I make 15 or half an hour uh, appointments with them in my office. And it really has been a better management of those events, and therefore saves time. But if I just said, well, that event is over, so I have this much time, that's not saving time unless you can put another event in it. So it's the issue of events. So let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 as our starting point in, uh, in looking at this. Uh, it's hard for me to read this text without singing, turn, 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 but I'll try to do it. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, there is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event, notice the idea of event or purpose, under heaven. A time to give birth, a time to die, time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted, time to kill, a time to heal, time to tear down, a time to build up, time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, time to search and a time to give up as loss. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Time to tear apart and a time to sew together. Time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker and what he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. I know that everything that God does will remain forever. There is nothing that can be added to it. There is nothing to take away from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. That which has already that has been already, and that which will be, has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. Now, I mention this text because it really talks about the order of events that God has done in the creation. There's that which God has ordered and done, and as we read earlier, He rested and he is done. 
They are manifest there, but he, but he saw the beginning from the end and he is operating in that sense outside of time. But we're within time. And so for us, we need our steps ordered and we need to grapple with the issue of time and events in their proper order. This word appropriate, God has made all things appropriate in their time, is a word that means to be fair, good looking, beautiful, in the sense of rightly done or beautifully done. It's, it's when it is put together, you go, oh, wonderful, right? That kind of idea. Paul makes use of this uh, notion in his verse in Romans 8.28 saying that in all things God is working good to those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, because he has made all things beautiful or appropriate in their time. God, in a sense, has already put that all together. But it's unfolding now and we're living in the context of that unfolding. So... The order to creation and life is an order that is maintained and corrected by God. And in that sense, we need to see time as events and activities and not as minutes and hours. We are ordering, we are addressing how we act and when we do things. So we're going to begin with the idea of time as God has set it up. So I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. I'm going to talk about some practical stuff in here as well, uh, because it's it's one thing to just have a theology of this. It's more important that we have an application of it. In chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 14, uh, Moses writes, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And he placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern, that is, manage, if you will, the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And of course, that's the fourth day in in this context. Time is an earthly notion, and the sun, the moon, and the stars are there to give us a sense of time and a sense of season. The day begins at sunset. Really important to practice that. Uh, I began uh, many years ago as I struggled with the issue of the Sabbath, of acknowledging the Sabbath at sunset on Friday, not doing anything else, but just watching the sun go down. It's still my practice to do that, not just on the Sabbath, but other times. We actually are in a house now where we can see the sunsets uh, much nicer than we could when we lived out here in Orange County, and there was always fog over there. But that watching that gives you a sense, this day is over, good. (laughs) And I'm entering the new day. The new day, that's fascinating. Because that new day is the idea that I get to spend it with my family. Because I'm home. And then I get to sleep. And when I wake up in the morning, the day is half over. And I only have to get through that part of it. Right? There's a difference. If you think that the day begins at midnight, you're not there for it. If you think that the the day begins at sunrise, most people are not for it. Are not 
awake for it. So God basically set that day beginning in the evening. And now I have tied that into a number of things. The Sabbath does that. The old tradition of Christmas Eve does the same thing in Christianity. Nobody really cares much about Christmas night. Christmas Eve is when it starts, right? And the same thing with the celebration of the resurrection Saturday night into Sunday morning. That notion of thinking of the day in God's time rather than in ours is important. If a person was unclean, they were unclean until sundown and then they started over in that sense. So I encourage you to try to practice that. It alters your consciousness in some sense. Now, related to that is the month beginning at the new moon. And those of you who look at the readings that I put up on Facebook and other places have noticed that in the last year or so, I've included the new moons. And I've done that because those biblical months are important. They tie into the holy days, and therefore knowing where those New moons are is part of this being awareness of time. Going out and looking at the new moon, which you can't see, (laughs) but then watching as it moves towards the full moon and then back that traditional lunar month that the Hebrew calendar is based on pulls us away from our own secular kind of calendar and gives us a sense of of that uh, progression towards God's uh, culmination. Now, the seasons are connected with the solstice and the equinox, and they tie in also to the holy days that uh, are part of the unfolding of God's timing and God's purpose. So for that, I'd like you to turn to Leviticus chapter 23. We're just going to look at the first four verses, but you're familiar with the chapter. The Lord spoke again to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is the Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. And then he begins with the months. And in certain months are those holy days which we observe. And it's important to keep the notion that these are not Jewish holy days or Christian holy days. Particularly in Leviticus 23, these are God's days. Okay? Now we all have our own days. We have our birthday, we have our anniversaries, we have those days that are kind of our days. These are gods, and they're gods for a reason. They are holy days that commemorate the activity of God, the events of God, which also foreshadow the actions of God to come. In other words, at the Passover, we look back at God bringing Israel out of Egypt. We look back at the cross and the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. And we look forward to the kingdom where our master said, I will not eat of this until I eat it or drink it anew with you in the kingdom. And Paul says, you show the Lord's death until he comes. So we look back and we look forward at each of the holy days. We look for, we look back at, at Advent to the first coming 
where the Messiah came to be the suffering servant and to be the great high priest who would ascend. We look forward to the time when he will establish the kingdom and he will be king of kings and lord of lords sitting on the throne of his father David as the promises came when he, when he was born. So each of the uh, holy days do that. The Sabbath itself looks back to creation and looks forward to the rest of God that was uh, mentioned in, again, the readings this morning. The rest that we will enter into when we enter into the kingdom. So each of these things become important and it's critical that they're not just the thing that we look on the calendar and say, oh, that's that one. We should be anticipating it by knowing where we are in the biblical timetable uh, from time to time. So uh, important that they are experienced rather than just learned. We can teach the kids to mention all of them. But they need the experience of them. The experience is what reinforces it and ties it in. My family really has a sense of the Sabbath beginning when we sit out there and watch the sun go down. When we do the observance actually in that context. You will, those families that are going away this week who are going to do the camping, that notion of actually doing, it's in the doing of the commandments, in the doing of the celebrations that we have an experience. And in that experience is the epiphany of the presence of God. You can, you can memorize this stuff, but that's not experience. It's the experience that matters and really important that the children and the grandchildren are given those experiences. Now there's another important timing element that we need to talk about and that is the life cycle. We're going to go back to Ecclesiastes uh, to the end of the book, uh, chapter 11, verse 8. In chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes, verse 8, Solomon writes, Indeed, if a man should live for many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Interesting. The Bible doesn't say the majority of our life are good days. The majority of our life is a struggle. But there are some good days in the midst of that and we're supposed to focus on those and see them because they anticipate the kingdom to come. So, he says, uh, all that's coming in this world, all the temporal stuff is futility, it's vanity. I did a series on this in Westminster once where I translated vanity soap bubbles. Soap bubbles are almost meaningless in that, in that kind of sense. Um, so he says, rejoice, young man. That's anybody from the age of about 14 to 30. During your childhood, so even the earlier time, and the days of young manhood, that's that period of 14 to 30. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for these things. In other words, you should, in your youth and in your childhood, have the experiences of life 
and you, there's all kinds of desires and things that go. We have to, we should follow those, but we maintain them within the judgment of God, within the commandments that God has given. And then he says, so remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. The three things that will destroy a childhood and a young adult's life are grief, anger that just rides and rides and rides, and chronic pain. And so uh, we're, we're told to try to minimize those in childhood and in our young adulthood. Because you're going to get plenty of those later. They're going to come in the latter part of life. And you're going to need that joy of, of those things. And many of us have been robbed of that in childhood. Um, and so we, we should make sure that that's included in what we do in parenting. So, he then says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. This time of bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, and confirmation is important. It is, you set your steps. You order your life to follow the Lord at this time when you become a young adult. And if you establish it then, you will walk with the Lord throughout your life. That struggle will be there, but the Lord will be there and you will make that life. You don't want to come to the Lord later in life. You don't want to wait till the last minute. I've got to live my life and then I'll come to the Lord. You often don't do it and life is much tougher in that context. You need that track record with God as you go through the evil days that are coming. So he says, you want to do this before the evil days come. Those years draw near when you say... Uh, this is not any fun anymore, right? Now, he goes in and describes this. I'm not going to talk about it, but he talks about those evil days where you're falling apart. Um, so the context of this verse is uh, that we are to live appropriately in our life cycle. God gives us 70 to 80 years. Some have a few more. Many have significantly less. Um, uh, one of my students, uh, who's younger than Cheryl, uh, just suddenly died. His, he went in the other room. His, um, he graduated a while. He got married. He was doing ministry work. And uh, his daughter thought, gee, he hasn't come back out. She went in the room, and they found him dead and don't know why. Uh, there is no guarantee in life. Uh, so we order our life according to the stage of life that we are in appropriately. God gives us those years. We must use our time and our life as stewards according to the biblical life cycle expressed in the scriptures and understood within Judaism and Christianity. That life cycle is birth and infancy up to the age of five. Childhood, six to twelve. That's the age of learning. Young adulthood, thirty to 13 to 30, which is really about establishing your own household and beginning to raise your children. Then 30 to 50, which is when you really serve in the community, that period of community service. 50 to 70, when you're an elder, you've got all that experience and you're helping the younger families in that context. And then those evil days come, 70 to 80 plus. Some people, those days wane uh, uh, come come at a later time and sometimes they come early 
In my dad's case, it came at 36. Um, in my wife's father's case, uh, he is in it now, but he's 90 years old. Uh, you know, full of years, as the scripture is, full of days in that sense. Uh, we don't know which one of those uh, steps we are. The Lord knows the days that we have. So we're to number our days to apply our hearts to wisdom that we may grow in grace and in knowledge towards kingdom things. So the scriptures and the Jewish and Christian traditions have provided us with rites of passage that set boundaries and express the transition from one period to the next. The preparation and practice of these rites, and we do them in our homes and in our congregation, help us to live appropriately in our life cycle. Really important as children go through that confirmation that they're now treated as an adult in terms of the spiritual community and, and need to take their place in that context. Um, too many people spend their childhood wanting to be adults and their adulthood wanting to be a youth. That's bad stewardship. If you're always trying to be the next stage or trying to go back to the last stage instead of living in the stage where you are, this is really tough. It took me a long time to learn this, to, to know where I was in that life cycle and move in the direction that's appropriate for that, knowing that the other was coming. So I could gain insight from those who were ahead of me and I could give insight to those who were behind me. Knowing that is important in each of our lives and it helps us to live correctly. This present obsession with adolescence and career is robbing Jews and Christians of the appropriate stewardship of life. And this trend is going to get worse in our culture because our culture is rejecting marriage, certainly holy marriage, and reproduction as the primary norms of that youth period. We must try to alter that in our own children and our grandchildren. We are going to be salmon swimming up against the current and it's not going to be easy. We have to find a way within the communities to do that. We are scattered and a lot of people are worried that their children in that sense are going to intermarry with those who are of the world and those marriages are uh, problematic. So there is another aspect to this um, time notion that I want to kind of close with and that's redeeming the time. I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. In the context of the Apostle Paul telling us to be imitators of God as children. Children, grow up to be like your father. Okay? He's talking about our Heavenly Father in that sense. We are to grow up to be like our elder brother, the Lord Jesus. In that context, he writes these words in chapter 5. Verse 16. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This context is for us to be in community with one another and to do this together, not to do it individually. And to realize that the days themselves are um, evil. The context of this verse is that we are to walk as children of light, that is in biblical revelation, and not like those who walk in darkness. The King James translates this, redeeming the time, and the NASB says, making the most of your time. Both of these are appropriate. We must 
make the most of our time and redeem the time that we can from the events of the world to make them events of the kingdom in that sense. Um, The creation is moving towards its own evil days, which will include the day of the Lord, which is preceded by incredible darkness. So we must redeem the time that's been lost, make the most of the time that we have by setting priorities. And these priorities are kingdom priorities, not temporal ones. The, The world is saying, downplay marriage, downplay raising of children, downplay all of those, until you get all of your security financially and uh, in life, and then you'll be able to do that. And you may not even need to do that because you won't want to do that. That is not the biblical priorities. In Matthew chapter 6, and if you recall, we looked at Matthew 6 for all of the basic um, spiritual disciplines, prayer and obeying the word and and fasting. So we're back to that basic message of Jesus that he did more than once, but is recorded here in the um, Sermon on the Mount. In verse 25, Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for the body as to what you will put on. Is life more than food and body more than clothing? He sets the priority first of our being alive that God has given us. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You actually can reduce it. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and then thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? I translate that phrase, O short-sighted ones. We're not seeing by faith to the eternal thing. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Their whole life is focused on those things. The maintenance of this life. And not the building of life towards the kingdom. Your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness... And all these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. I've been reflecting on that. That verse all week. Linda and I in reflecting over the 48 years of our marriage. Have realized. That we have never known what the future was. Now we have planned for the future our whole life. Because we kind of had an idea of what we thought was going to be. And life turns left and right and drops off and does. It, you just can't possibly have predicted what you would face and what you would go through and when things would happen. Our management is, is keep your eyes on the, the goal 
But the road to there is by maintaining your balance in the process. You have today to walk. You may not have tomorrow to walk. I believe if we are walking appropriately towards the kingdom, whenever our time comes, that we end, that's what God counts. He's not counting whether I'm here or whether I'm here. He's counting the direction I'm facing and whether I'm walking appropriately. And the scriptures are, have a myriad of texts that, that say that. So, it's hard to look at these words of Jesus and make the claim that getting a graduate education and a secure income are priorities for the community of faith. These things may be included, but they are not the priority. The priority is the things of the kingdom of God, which is going to come, and His righteousness. And His righteousness is a righteousness of faith, trusting God, and a righteousness that comes out of obedience. Not works to get God to do for us, but a trust that God will do what He says, and therefore we will obey Him and do the right thing. That's what we need to teach ourselves And that's what we need to model for our families. And that's what we need our children. Because as you and I walk, the sun is setting. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Which means the darkness is nearer than before. And they will walk in a text, a context, that is much more likely to pull them away than we did. Particularly me. When I was a kid and not religious. Grew up in a non-Christian home. Many of the things that I later learned were Christian. Were told me by school teachers. By police officers. By Boy Scout leaders. Uh, The world simply. the, The America I grew up in. Was dominated by Christian values. Whether Whether people were saved I have no idea. But those are not the values today. And. And it was hard enough growing up in that context. I can't imagine what kids are growing up in today. So, as we approach the Day of Atonement, both of them, the shadow, which we will practice Wednesday as we observe the fast, and as we afflict ourselves knowing that we can do nothing for our salvation, and we acknowledge that He... Uh, made the atonement with his own blood, not on earth but in heaven, that blood shed on the cross. And the day of the Lord which is approaching, the real day of atonement and judgment that will come. We need to commit ourselves and our households and this community of faith to the faith and obedience that is the righteousness of the kingdom that God has called us to. Because he has not called us to be successful in this world. We may be and we may not be. But he has called us to be faithful in the world to come. And that's what the management of our time, our events, is really about. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.